The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We're currently going through a series during the summertime called Greater Than, and we're looking at many of the things in scriptures that God is greater than, and uh, what he demonstrates and what he gives that is greater than so much of what we wrestle through in the day and age in which we live. So this morning we're going to be moving through Romans chapter number 5 this morning for a Bible study, Romans chapter number 5. And uh, let me just say here today, it's so good to have each and every one of you here. If you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest, and we're so glad to have you in our services this morning. Uh, And I know it's in the middle of the summer, and a lot of folks are here and there and on vacation, but we're glad that you chose to worship with us here this morning, and looking forward to just spending some time around God's Word today. As we specifically look at Romans chapter number 5, we're going to be in verse number 18 in just a moment. Uh, On your way in, you should have received a service program. Uh, Inside the service program is an outline that you can use to follow along with the Bible study this morning. I hope it will be a help and encouragement to you. Uh, On the inside flap, there's also a little connection guide. For those of you who are guests with us today, we'd love to have a record of your attendance. And so feel free to fill that out, and we'd love to get some information about the church to you uh, in the mail. And uh, that would be a wonderful thing. We promise if you're visiting, uh, we won't sell your information to telemarketers, all right? But this will just kind of help us a little bit uh, get some information to you. Uh, For those of you who are physically able, let me invite you to stand as we read from our text here today, Romans chapter number 5. We're going to look today at the subject of God's grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. Here's what the Word of God says in Romans chapter number 5, verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men, notice this, to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, speaking of Jesus, the free gift, speaking of salvation, came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to speak on this subject. God's grace is greater than our sin. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into this study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, what a blessing it is to gather together as your church and to sing praises to you. And Lord, I pray that as over these next few minutes we'll spend some time looking into your word, that you'll keep our minds alert and and focused on you. And I pray that we would receive from your word that which you'd want us to receive. I pray that we would be encouraged and blessed from it. Lord, thank you for each and every one of these folks, Lord, that are here this morning. I pray that you'd bless their lives, Lord. I pray that your spirit would encourage them as we spend some time with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated here today. Uh, This morning, I want you to notice three insightful observations regarding how God's grace truly is greater than our sin. So let's begin this morning. Notice here in verse number 18, you're going to see some parallels in the beginning of verse 18 as well as in the beginning of verse 19. See, See what the Bible says here. It says, therefore, now 
you know me, I can go a whole long time with preaching, and, and, and so I'm not going to get into all of chapters number four and chapters number five, but I'll just simply say this. Whenever you see the word therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. And so what we're going to see in verses 18 through the rest of the chapter really piggybacks on what takes place at the beginning of chapter number five. And so he's going, to, the apostle Paul is going to unpack this a little bit. He says, as by the offense of one. Now, Specifically, he's speaking of this one man, Adam, that first man. The Bible says because of his offense, because of his sin, judgment came upon all men. Notice this to condemnation in verse number 19. It's going to say this again for as by one man's disobedience, many were made Sinners. So you see in verse 18 and verse 19, these uh, kind of parallel uh, truths that the Apostle Paul is trying to put forth. And basically he's saying, because our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, sinned, he says, now we all got an issue, every single one of us. Because of his disobedience, many now were made sinners, all right? And so we see through Adam's disobedience, a sin nature was passed unto all men, resulting in judgment and condemnation for all. Now, why this is important to understand is this. There are some people in our world today who believe our biggest problem as human beings is our immoral behavior or our bad behavior. Now, I will say this. Our bad behavior is an issue. But according to the Bible, the issue is much bigger, it is much deeper, and it is much more profound than just some wrong behavior. According to what we see in Romans chapter number five, we don't just have a behavioral problem. We, we don't just have a action problem. We don't just have a problem with bad behavior. What we're going to see in this passage here is that we have a problem that's much deeper. It's a problem that doesn't just affect our behavior. It's a, a problem that affects our very soul. It affects our very nature. We could say it this way. It affects our very DNA. You see, when Adam sinned, that sin nature was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And now here in the 21st century, we find ourselves with a sin nature. Humanity is born into this thing because of the sin and disobedience of Adam. And this is what it's saying in verse number 18. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Why? For as by one man's disobedience, verse 10, many were made sinners you see our problem is a lot bigger than just the fact that we do some bad things sometimes the bible teaches us that our real problem that the biggest problem that we face is that we were born into this life with a sin nature you say why is this so important to understand because as long as we live under the illusion that our biggest problem is just some bad behavior if that's really what you believe, if that's really what you think, then you will come to the conclusion that the solution to that problem is just to change your behavior. I just got to find a way to act better. 
I've just got to find a way to do some better things. I've got to find a way to, to be gooder or something like that. You see, if we see the problem as simply behavioral, then we will see the solution as simply being behavioral. But the moment we get to God's word and recognize that the problem is much deeper than the behavioral issue, that the problem really is our very nature that we are born into, then we will see the solution as something bigger and deeper than just changing our behavior. What we're going to see is that we need to be made new. We literally need our essence. We need our nature to be transformed. Well, that's a big problem. Because I don't know about you, but I can convince myself that I can act a little bit better. When I, if I see the problem as being my bad behavior, then I can convince myself, well, I can just try harder tomorrow. But once I come to the biblical realization that my biggest problem is the sin nature that I was born into, then I begin to realize that the solution to that problem is much bigger. I need to be made new. And that's what Romans really addresses. It addresses how Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life, the God-man died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin, not just our sinful behavior, but took the consequences of our sinful nature upon himself, went to the grave, and then three days later rose from the dead, proving he was God, proving he had power over death, proving he had the power to take us to heaven. And in that moment, when we, by faith, receive that, the Bible says we are given not just the ability to behave better. We are literally given a brand new nature. We are literally made a new creature in Christ. And all this brings us to the first thought this morning, and that is simply this, if you're taking notes. Sin damages our lives. Sin damages our lives. Not just the sin we perform, but literally our sinful nature sabotages the world in which we live. You see, the Bible is such a blessing because it is brutally honest about the fact that our sin produces pain, misery, agony, and ultimately death. And I realize this is not something that's very politically correct to talk about. I realize in a lot of churches, they're going to kind of maybe sweep this under the carpet a little bit. We're just going to talk about how awesome you guys are and how amazing everything is. And, and I understand there's a place to recognize who we now are in Christ. But it is important that we as believers understand that sin and our sin nature really did produce some problems for us as individuals and for humanity as a whole. And we see this all throughout scriptures. Go to James chapter number 1, verses number 15. James is going to unpack this a little bit for us when it says, When lust hath conceived. Now, what's lust? It's unhealthy desires. It's those carnal cravings. Selfish ambitions. Ulterior motives. Fleshly greed. Uh, lust is really, it's a sin of the heart. 
And in fact, a lot of times, lust starts underneath the surface long before it expresses itself in the physical realm in which we live. I realize that when we use the word lust, our minds can quickly go to sexual type sins. And yet the reality is lust can take on a whole lot of different expressions. In fact, materialism and greed and ulterior motives are all expressions of lust. Notice what the Bible says. When lust, materialism, greed, sexual lust, when it hath conceived, notice what it says. The Bible says it bringeth forth sin. Okay? When that lust starts in our heart, when it conceives, it brings forth sin. What is sin? I like to say it this way. Sin is what happens when we take perfectly natural desires that God has placed within us and desperately try to fulfill them without God. That is, you have a natural desire, a desire that God has placed within you. Sin is when we allow and we look to fulfill those desires to find Uh, satisfaction for those desires to find gratification for those desires in something outside of God's will sin lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin notice this and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death you see sin always promises what it can't deliver. Sin will tell you, hey, you have this urge. You have this desire. You have this lust. And sin will come along and say, this is the best way to fulfill that. This is the best way to gratify this. This is the best way to satisfy this. And yet it makes promises that it cannot fulfill. It doesn't have the ability to fulfill that thing. And the sad thing is that time and time again, sin will just leave us totally empty because it always promises what it can never produce. I'm glad that the Bible is honest enough to tell us that sin hurts us. The reality is a good friend would always be willing to step into your life and And would be willing to say, hey, there's a direction, and I love you, and I want what's best for you, so I want to come alongside of you, and in love, I want to speak into your life, because I want your joy to be full. I want you to experience life, and life more abundantly, and so a good friend will come alongside, and it'll speak the truth into your life, and sometimes that truth is hard to receive. How many of you have ever had to do this with a child? Maybe a grandchild. And, and you saw a direction. And it, it wasn't because you didn't want them to have fun. It wasn't because you wanted to destroy their lives. You wanted what was best for them. You loved them. You wanted them to be able to enjoy their life to the fullest. You wanted them to experience fullness of joy. And so for, for the sake of their joy, you, you leaned into that conversation. And, and you had the hard talk with them so that you could encourage their heart toward that which would promote and cultivate life and life more abundantly. That's what the scripture's doing here. The, scri- the scripture is being brutally honest about what sin does to a life. It kills, it steals, and it destroys. It brings death. 
Ultimately, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. That is to say, it brings death to our lives. Sin will bring death to a marriage. Sin will bring death to relationships. Sin will bring death to your emotional state. Sin will bring death to your mental capacities. Sin often can bring death even to us physically through disease. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin always destroys. That's why John 10 verse 10 says, The thief cometh to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Timothy Keller, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, says this. Sin is the suicidal action of the human soul against itself. Think about that. Sin, it's that suicidal action. You see, we don't look at it that way. We look at sin as being that which gratifies. We look at sin as that which ultimately can satisfy. We look at sin as that which can bring us fulfillment, and yet the Bible is very clear. Sin is that suicidal action of the human soul against itself. I I want you to understand something. I think we're going to put this on the screens. As a believer in Christ, at, this is, as a believer in Christ, you are not punished for your sin. Okay? We got to understand this theologically. The moment you became in Christ, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, in that moment, the Bible says, Jesus absorbed all of your unrighteousness on his account. That means to say, he literally took every ounce of punishment that your sin behavior, your sinful behavior, and your sinful nature deserved. He absorbed all of it. That is to say, there is literally no more consequences for you to absorb for your sin. Jesus Christ absorbed every ounce of it for you. However, I will say this, as a believer, while you are not punished for your sin, you will be punished by your sin. We're not talking in a spiritual realm here like Jesus is up in heaven mad at you. How dare you do this again? You call yourself a Christian and boom, send a lightning bolt from heaven. In Christ, in Christ, he sees you as redeemed. He's absorbed all the spiritual consequences and punishment of your sin and sin nature upon himself. In fact, he completely poured out the cup of his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ. He did not leave one drop for you. He poured it all out upon his son. However, if you today, you know, decide to, you know, go out and rob a bank, that sin will will punish you. As a believer in Christ, we're not punished for our sins. We're literally punished by our sins. Here's what I want to communicate to you today. Sin hurts. Some of you have personally experienced the consequences of sin upon yourself. Some of you have experienced the consequences of your own decisions. 
Others of you have experienced the consequences of somebody else's choices and somebody else's decisions, and you've experienced, you've absorbed those, you, you've, you, you know the pain of experiencing the consequences of somebody else's sin. Why? Because sin damages our lives. Sin brings death. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what it says here in verse number 20. Notice the middle of the verse. But where sin abounded, where lust and greed and materialism and gossip and sexual sin and lying and stealing, where that stuff began to abound, where that stuff began to pile up, here's what the Bible says. Grace did much more abound. See, there is no such thing as good news if we don't help you understand what the bad news is. The bad news is sin messes things up. And when they mess things up, they mess things up royally. Charles Spurgeon would talk about how it's the job of a pastor to speak to the sins of a congregation. I realize that in this congregation, we're going to tend to focus more on the respectable sins. That's why sometimes we can get a little irritated and agitated. A lot of churches want their pastors to preach on the sins that happened outside their walls. Yet the reality is, we're called often to preach to those sins within our walls, the sins of gossip. Sins of bitterness. Sins of unforgiveness. Sins of materialism. The s- we call them the respectable sins. The sins that our culture sometimes even celebrates in some circles. But I want you to know that all forms of sin destroys, it hurts, it crushes our lives. But God doesn't leave us under the weight of that heavy judgment. He says in verse 20, where that sin abounds, grace did much more abound. I want to say this to you. There is literally more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. You say, Pastor, if you, if you knew what I have been through, if, if you knew what I really have done, if, if you knew what had gone in my past life, I don't know that you would say that. And I just want to declare to you, based on the authority of God's word, there is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. God's grace is lavish. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is liberally poured out upon you. I, I love what the cross does. As you and I, as we look to the cross we begin to get some sense, some idea of the fierceness of God's hatred towards sin as well as the tenacity of his love for sinners. What a paradox. That emblem of the cross where Jesus was beaten And he was bruised 
and he was broken, not for his sin, but for our sin. It's that emblem, it's that picture that gives us an accurate realization that God doesn't just wink at our sin. God doesn't just pretend like our sin's no big deal. Your sin and my sin put our Savior on the cross. It killed him. It's a big deal. It hurts. It destroys. We do not make light of sin. Sin messes things up. But I want to say this. Your sin does not have to be the end of your story. Because God offers you his grace. He doesn't wink at your sin and say, ah, it's no big deal. Forget about it. It it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters a lot because it's hurting you and it's hurting your family and it's destroying sometimes your career and you physically sin messes things up. But I want to say this, there's hope. There's deliverance. There's grace. There's mercy. And there is forgiveness because where sin piles up, His grace piles up even more. And that is our hope. That's our victory in what Jesus Christ has to offer, which brings us to our second thought this morning, and that is simply this. Yes, sin damages our lives, but God responds to sin with grace. This is good news, my friends. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't stop with just condemning and judging our sin? Aren't you glad that's not where God put the period, but rather a comma? Aren't you glad that judgment and condemnation is not the end of the story? It's just the beginning. God responds to all sin with the good news of grace. I want to remind you today, yes, your past may be littered with sin. And your past might be littered with the broken pieces that your sin brought to your life and to your marriage and to your family. But I want to say to you here today, based on the authority of the word of God, Jesus, by the cross, offers full forgiveness. He offers mercy and he offers grace to all who have sinned. Yes, sin's a big deal, but it's not the end of the story. Lamentations chapter number three, verse 22 says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Can I say this? That's pretty much what we deserve in our sinful state. Man, God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. And honestly, in our old sinful state, in our sinful behavior... God would be perfectly just to just simply consume us with his glory. God would not be wrong to do that, but because of his compassions, they fail not. Yes, God is holy, but God is also love. And so he offers you mercy. Notice what it says. His mercies are new every single morning. Every morning, his mercy is new. Every afternoon, his mercy is new. Every evening, his mercy is new. 
Every day his mercy is new. Every hour his mercy is new. Why? They are new every single morning. Notice what it says. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you so, aren't you so thankful that even when we fail, even when we fail God, even when we fail him, even when we fail to measure up and when we fail to be the husband God would have us to be and we fail to be the wife God would have us to be and we fail to be the parents God would have us to be and we fail to be the employer that God has us to be, when we fail to be the church member, when we fail to be the, whatever the case may be, when we fail, though we fail, and when we fail him, he will never fail us because he is faithful. He is always faithful, and his mercy is new every single morning. Hallelujah. That's some good, awesome, exciting news. Yes, our sin's a big deal. We don't wink at it. We don't sweep it under the carpet. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We humbly, and with hearts of repentance, we bring it to God, and we say, God, this sin is, a, it, this is, this is nasty stuff. But God, I offer it to you because I know your mercy is new. I know, I know I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creature. These things are supposed to be passed away. Behold, all things are, beha- be, be, they're new, God. And I want to live in alignment with who I now am in Christ. That's our hope. My friends, there will never be a moment when you don't need grace. If you think there are moments where you don't need grace, then you need grace for your pride and your arrogance. There is not a moment where you will not fully need grace. But I want to say to you, there will never be a moment when lavish grace isn't fully available to you because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf at the cross of Calvary. There will always be lavish mercy. There will always be lavish grace. There will always be lavish forgiveness to those who come with hearts that are humble and repentant toward him. Praise the Lord. Because God's grace is greater than our sin. See, some of us get a little bit uh, irritated by thoughts about this. It doesn't jive with us just right. We like to know that we have been offered forgiveness. And we like to think that God has offered us mercy and grace. But the thought that God also offers that mercy and grace and forgiveness to those people we despise... those people who are irritated with, and those people that we feel self-righteous over. The thought that the God of the universe would also extend to, extend to them that same mercy and forgiveness and grace causes us to get a little uncomfortable. I don't know why it is that we choose our sin over his grace I'll say this one of the ways you can know whether or not you have a relationship with God that's strong and vibrant and dynamic one litmus of that one mark of that if I can use this phrase is how you respond when you sin this is big 
the way a lot of people respond when they sin is to run away from God. Run away from the things of God. Run away from spiritual accountability. Run away from church. Run away from biblical godly counselors. When they sin, they run away from the things of God. But can I just tell you, all that reveals about your heart is that you believe that God does not have your best interest in mind and that you are afraid that if you run toward God, he will not do right by you. One of the ways you know if you have an accurate view of God is that moment when you sin. The first thing you want to do is run into God's presence. You want to run toward his presence. You want to run into experiencing him deeper and experiencing him more fully because you realize that in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is satisfaction. In his presence is that peace. In his presence, that's where fullness of life dwells. And so one of the marks that you have a proper view of God is how do you naturally respond when you sin? Do you run away from him because you think he's going to do you dirty? Or do you run toward him because you know he's a loving heavenly father and he is your only hope from deliverance and power over that sin that's wreaking havoc upon your life? How do you respond when sin steps into your life? See, when you really believe that God always responds with grace, mercy, and forgiveness to a humble, repentant sinner, that authentic belief will cause you to run toward him the moment you sin. Rather than running away from him. Uh, I have a friend of mine, uh, Carrie Schmidt, and uh, he's got three children, and he told me a story one time about his second boy, Larry, I thought it was awesome, and uh, we, we worked together several years back and, and things, and so he, he would often take his, his family, and they, they would do kind of family activities and things, and there was this one place, Boomers, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, a Boomers, you know, it's got the mini golf and the laser tag, and you can kind of uh, play video games and things like that, and so every once in a while he would take his family uh, to a, a, a Boomers type uh, of a place, and they would play video games and things like that, and, and on one particular occasion, I, I think Larry was maybe like six or something at the time, and uh, he, t- he told me that one day Larry had really got his heart set on wanting to go to Boomers again and, and go mini-golfing and play on the video games, and, and uh, my friend Carrie came up to him and said, hey, he said, uh, he said we're going we're gonna to go someplace, and uh, Larry, who's six years old, was like really pumped about it because he's like, he knew his dad was going to do something cool and special for him, and in his, in his heart and mind, he was like, he was anticipating that his dad was going to take him to, to Boomers, and they were going to have a great time, and, and, and so he was anticipating that, and, and all of a sudden, Carrie said to him, Carrie said, you know, he said, you know where we're going to go today? We're going to go to Disneyland, and Larry's, Larry's just, his whole countenance went, <sighs> he got kind of mad. Well, you see, Larry didn't, had never been to Disneyland. He didn't know what Disneyland was. Never experienced. He had no context for this Disneyland or whatever the Disneyland place was. And so in his mind, the best thing he could think of was boomers. Like in his head, there was no place better. There was no place cooler. There was no place more fun. And so for like the next few moments, Carrie with his son had to like argue with him why they were going to go to Disneyland. You better, we're going to go to Disneyland whether you like it or not, son. You know, sit down, get in the car. We're going to Disneyland. He's like, eh, of 
course, he got there, and boom, man, he just had the time of his life, right? You know, it was Disneyland. It was awesome. It was amazing. As I heard that story, though, you know what it reminded me? It reminded me of how so many of us deal with our sin. Like, in our minds, we're like, no, this is how we're going to find satisfaction, and this is how we're going to find gratification, and this is how we're going to find contentment, and this is how we're going to find fulfillment. And God, in his word, he's saying, he's saying, he's not telling us no. He's not saying, that's hard. He's saying, I've got something better. I've got something more fulfilling. I've got something more satisfying. I've got something more gratifying. I've got life and life more abundantly. It's it's as if God's saying, hey, I've got something better for you than boomers. I'm going to give you Disneyland. I want to give you abundant life that's found in just fully experiencing me. And yet so many of us are just like little Larry and we... We'd rather know what we, we'd rather have what we understand that makes sense to us, what we've experienced before, than trusting a heavenly father, the one who created us, the one who literally created our desires and and our personalities, and he knows better than even we do what fully satisfies the heart. You see, sin does damage our lives. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We can't pretend that it doesn't exist. But the reality is, God does respond to sin with grace. Why? Because his grace is greater than our sin, which leads us here to our third thought. Notice the end of verse number 18 and the end of verse number 19. I want you to see this again. So we started at the beginning of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. Now I want you to notice the second part of uh, verse number 19. It says right here, even so, all right, yes, one man, Adam, offended sinned and judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one now this is the second adam that the apostle paul is talking about jesus christ there was the first adam the second adam jesus so by the righteousness the perfection of this one named jesus the free gift of salvation came upon all men unto justification of life now this is awesome what is justification pastor i'm not used to hearing these words When Jesus Christ saved you, the Bible says one of the things he gave you was called justification. He justified you. Now, the easiest way to understand what this means is, it's a big theological word, I know, but I want to help you understand it. The word justification, justified, you you can use this little thing to help you remember it. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. So here's what Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, yes, even, yes, all your sin and sin nature came from one, the first Adam, He says, so by the righteousness of this one, the second Adam, Jesus, the Messiah, by the righteousness of this one, the free gift came upon all men. What what was the free gift? Justification of life. Just as if you'd never sinned, just as if you'd always obeyed. That's what you were given at salvation. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he took all of your unrighteousness upon himself and suffered all the consequences of your unrighteousness and placed all of his perfect righteousness upon you. And now when the heavenly father looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ, on your account. You have been justified just as if you'd never sinned, just as if you'd always obeyed. Why? Because of grace. You see, that didn't just solve your behavioral problem. That solved your DNA problem. (laughs) 
God literally gave you a new spirit. He put the Holy Spirit inside of you the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. He made you in your essence, in your very spirit. He made alive with the Spirit of God. He didn't just say, okay, we're going to fix you on the outside. No, he says, I'm going to fix you from the inside out. I'm going to give you a new spirit. He goes on to say in verse number 19, yes, for by one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. He passed down that sin nature from generation to generation to generation. Notice what it goes on to say. So by the obedience of one, the second Adam, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. The moment you place your full trust and acceptance in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, not only are you justified, but you also are declared righteous in the sight of God. You are declared perfect in your nature. The very essence of who you are is transformed. It's renewed in Christ. You see, what the Apostle Paul is speaking of here is what Theologians often refer to as positional righteousness. Your position in Christ makes you righteous at the very essence of who you are. Literally, your nature was transformed. You went from having the sin nature, and then when you received God's grace by putting your faith and belief in what he did for you on the cross... And that you believe that that's enough to satisfy God's demands. You put your faith in that by simply trusting and believing in that. God then gives you his perfect righteousness. And now you are positionally righteous. But go verse to verse number 21. He says that sin hath reigned unto death. He said there was a time when sin was reigning to death. It, it caused pain and misery and death. Even so now might grace reign. Notice this. Through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there is the positional righteousness that God gives us. But what this makes possible now that we have been given a new nature, now it is possible for us to experience practical righteousness in our day-to-day living. This is awesome. You see, before you were in Christ... You could try to clean up your life and you could try to do better things, but you could only do it on a surface level. You could only do it through your actions. But now that you have a new nature, for those of you who have accepted Christ as your personal savior, put your faith in him, you receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, you receive that justification, righteousness. Now you have the ability where you did not have the ability before, now to demonstrate and express practical righteousness to your spouse. Practical righteousness to your children. Practical righteousness at your workplace. And holistically, not just in your behavior, but in your, because, because Christ is in you now, he can change your beliefs. And your values, what's important to you. Your motives and your desires, what you really want. Because now that new nature is within you. Now the Spirit of God can change the inner part of what the Bible calls your soul. The Spirit is saved. The moment of salvation. Now you have the ability to see your entire soul, your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit transformed. So that inner side, so eventually your behaviors can now follow suit. Now this is where practical righteousness is now made possible. Some of you, you feel like you've been struggling for years and years and years 
to simply be better. And I'm going to say this, for some, you, don't need to, you don't need to try to be better. You don't need to try to do better. You need to be better. You need to be new. You need to be transformed. You need Jesus. You need his spirit. Because once you get positionally righteous before Christ, before God, now you have the opportunity to grow in practical righteousness with those around you. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Titus chapter number 2, verse 11 says this. For the grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Basically, this is saying, hey, this gift of justification, this, this gift of righteousness, this thing called salvation, it's available to everyone. This is, this is a good news, all right? It's available to all of us. But it also does more than just save us. It also does some other things. It teaches us, so it saves us. But second of all, this, this, right, this salvation, the Spirit of God also teaches this grace, the, for the grace of God that brings salvation also teaches us what does it teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust it brings salvation appeared unto all men that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world i'm going to say it this way grace doesn't give you permission to sin it gives you the power to not sin that's what grace is that is to say this, it gives you the power to not hurt yourself anymore through sin. It gives you the power to not harm yourself anymore through sin. It gives you the power to stop hurting your family because of your sin and hurting your marriage because of your sin. Grace doesn't give you permission to sin. It gives you the power to overcome sin. That's the victory. You see, God doesn't want to just say, okay, I'm going to deal with the consequences and, and you no longer have to experience the eternal consequences of your sin and, and I'm going to leave you there. No, God does something better. He now gives us the ability to practically overcome those unhealthy, destructive habits that are hurting us and hurting people around us. And God says, I'm going to give you the power to be able to overcome all that. You've been trying for years to overcome that addiction. You've been trying for years to overcome that, uh, that unhealthy habit. You've been trying for years to, to align and get and, and be a better husband and be a better mother or whatever the case may be and god says hey uh, grace just doesn't give you permission to wink at it and say ah it's no big deal god says i'm going to give you grace that will give you the power and the strength and the victory to be practically what jesus is that is the hope and the promise that you have in christ through his grace which brings us to our final thought and that is simply this here today yes sin damages our lives and yes god responds to sin with grace but i want you to see this grace ultimately produces spiritual maturity and this is why i keep preaching grace i've had people tell me well you know you kind of got to be careful with grace you preach it too much you know no, if people think grace is permission to sin, then they misunderstand what the Bible calls grace. We don't need a less grace. We need more of it because grace is our hope for overcoming temptation and overcoming unhealthy habits. Grace is our only hope. And so I'm going to keep preaching it and keep preaching it and dive deeper into it and deeper into it to help you understand all that grace really is. We don't need less of it. We don't need balanced grace. We need deeper understanding of what God's grace did for us when we were saved. To experience it. To experience its power to overcome that which is unhealthy. Which brings us here to Hebrews chapter number four. 
says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Because of Christ, you can now go boldly to the presence of God. The throne of grace, why? That we may obtain mercy. Mercy for what we did. God, I need your mercy. I made a mistake. I sinned. God, I need your mercy. But he's going to not just give us mercy and forgiveness from the past, but he's going to give us grace to help in the future. That's awesome. Mercy for past sin, grace for future victory. That's what he offers. Grace to help in time of need. How does grace help us functionally and practically? How does it do this? Okay? I don't know if this is on the screens or not, but rather than just letting you continue, it is here, rather than just letting you continue to crave that which is unhealthy, toxic, and destructive, because you know what, that's what the world's going to say, all right? Well, you know, if it feels good, do it. Yeah, it'll probably hurt you. It'll probably destroy your, you physically. It'll probably make you sick. It'll probably ruin your marriage. And yeah, it'll probably ruin your family. And it'll, it'll probably ruin your emotional state and your mental state. But you know what? Hey, we're just human, right? So, you know, we're just going to just, yeah, if it feels good, do it. Because that, that's kind of the, that's the message of the world. Because that's kind of what we want to hear. But grace tells us a different message. Rather than just letting you continue to crave that which is unhealthy and toxic and destructive, grace helps you to cultivate new desires. And this is what it is. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, well, I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do. And this is where your hope is. God says, I can give you new desires desires because i know some of you are here and you're like i don't want to do what god wants me to do i know that there are things i don't want to do that god wants me to do but this is where my hope is my hope is in the fact that god can change my desires god can change my motives he can change what i want and he can change what you want that's the power of grace grace doesn't just manipulate you to do things you don't feel like doing and don't want to do and yeah you know no grace comes along and says i can make you want what you're supposed to want rather than just letting you continually crave that which is unhealthy and toxic and destructive to your marriage and your families and people around you grace helps you to cultivate new desires that are healthy and beneficial to your life as well as glorifying to god so grace does that's the power of grace sin yes damages our lives but god responds to sin with grace wow he says how am i going to respond to your sin i'm going to give you forgiveness and mercy for all that you've done in your past and i'm going to give you the grace to overcome everything in your future every temptation every trial every difficulty every obstacle i'll give you the grace yes sometimes to overcome and to put it behind you, but sometimes I'm going to give you the grace just to endure it, to have joy and to have peace, even in the middle of everything that you're going through. I'm going to give that to you, all right? At the root of every sin, think of a sin in your mind right now. Everybody pick one. Maybe it's one you're struggling with. I won't make you say it out loud, so, you know, feel free to just come up with a doozy. Every sin, at the root of every sin, is unbelief. We believe we will get ultimate gratification in a way that God says we won't. Therefore, all sin is an act of practical unbelief. You get it? We believe we'll get gratification, satisfaction, in a way that God says we won't. Therefore, all sin is an act of practical unbelief. This is why the Bible says in 1 John 3, 6, Whosoever abideth in him, 
as we're ongoing and experiencing his presence and abiding in him, the Bible says, whosoever abides in him sinneth not. Wow, what a promise. That's why it's so important. You say, well, pastor, you preach a lot about spending time with God and abiding with Jesus. Why do you talk about it all? Because I actually believe that's our ultimate hope, not me just yelling at you about how to try harder at being good. Because you guys all know that already. <laughs> you never come to church and like, oh, pastor told me to be good in this area. I didn't know that. Yes, you did. We got Google. <laughs> you can figure all that on your own. You need to abide with Christ. Get to a place where he's actually changing you from the inside out. Because you have the Holy Spirit, he can change you. He can change your desires. He can change your motives. He can change your beliefs. He can change your worldviews. He can change your paradigms. He can change all the things inside of you that make you do what you do. All moralism can do is make you feel guilty for doing something bad. And tell you to try harder. <laughs> Grace comes along and says, yes, the law, moralism, do better. Grace says, I'll change you. I'll change your desires. I'll change your cravings. I'll change your wants. I'll change your motives. I'll change your values. I'll change what's important to you. I'll change your priorities. I'll change your thinking and your attitudes. And then, guess what? When all that changes on the inside... It's amazing that all your behaviors and actions just whoop, automatically change. Because the real you changed. And so be, your behavior follows suit. And grace is the only thing that can change what's inside of you. Not the law. He goes into that a little bit right there. You can study that portion for yourself there in chapter number 5, verses number 18. I think it's 18, 17. The law can only just point out the problem. Can't fix you. Moralism can say, ah, oh, yeah, that's going to mess you up. <laughs> only grace can change you from the inside out. And that's what the gospel provides. So, as we wrap it up here, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. God wants you to overcome sin. Why? Because he wants you to be miserable. No. Because he wants your joy to be full. You think, well, life's pretty good right now. He wants your joy to be full. And as long as that sin is kind of sabotaging the undercurrent of your life, you're not going to have fullness of joy. You're not going to have completeness of peace. And so he gives you grace so you can overcome the temptations of life so that, why? He can make your life miserable. You can remove all the fun from your life. No, so that your joy can be full. Do you want fullness of joy? To experience him and experience him more abundantly. That is what grace offers. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.